Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be with you. I'm glad that the snow was not as bad as we thought it was going to be, that we could be together. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the folks that serves on the preaching team here at Missio Day Church. And um, I, I have a confession to make to all of you, uh, which is always a great way to start a sermon. Um, but uh, I did not learn my multiplication tables until much later in life. Um, I'm embarrassed to say when I learned them. Um, it was during quarantine. Just kidding. It wasn't that late. Um, but uh, I was a little behind the eight ball with the multiplication tables. Uh, and I, I learned them much later than myself and my parents would have liked. Um, but in my defense, I think I had two things working against me. Okay. The first is I, I was never a math person, all right, which is totally the Lord's humor that I'm now married to a math teacher. And what's great about being married to a math teacher is that when you ask a simple math question, you don't get the answer. You get the teacher voice, and you get this. You get, well, let's think about it this way. So, like, if I want to know, like, hey, I'm measuring this deal, how many feet? She's like, well, let's think about it this way. If the train leaves the station at 6.30, I'm like, okay, let's just, I'll just ask Siri, okay? Um, so, I was just never a math person. Um, and the second thing that didn't work against me was my brain. Um, I, I don't know if I got a refurbished one or like, but there's just a couple screws missing. There's like the cheese has fallen off the cracker, um, in my brain because you see, I, it's amazing the things that I can remember and the things that I can't remember and the things that my brain chooses to remember are typically, um, extremely dumb, meaningless and useless pieces of information. Okay. Like I can quote random stupid movies that you've probably never heard of. Um, I, uh, I know all the lyrics to Tupac's California Love and Usher's Yeah, which I have to say is helpful when you're at a wedding on the dance floor, but um, the, the things I remember are essentially useless and meaningless pieces of information. And it's interesting to think about the things that we remember and also what kind of effect each of us can have on how we remember or what we remember about our past. And, and maybe it's something we haven't considered before or perhaps it's too challenging of an, a journey to embark upon, but I think remembering is important and an important theme throughout the narrative of Scripture. And, and it's one that I think is highlighted in our text that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, today is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and while we're not at the conclusion of Advent, this is our last installment in the book of Malachi. Insert sad face, emoji face. I know that you're all very sad about that. We have counselors in the back to get you through it, but um, we'll, we'll make it through. So we're going to look at the last little bit of Malachi. So turn, me, turn with me, if you would, to Malachi 3.16, and then we're going to read to the end of the book of Malachi. So Malachi 3.16 to the end of the book. And I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and here's what it says. Then those who revered the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord took note and listened, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the Lord and thought on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act. And I will spare them as parents spare their children who serve them. Then once more you shall see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be, uh, will be stubble. The day that the Lord comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who, who revere my name 
the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, said the Lord of hosts. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord when the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. Here is the word of the Lord. So for those of us um, who might just be uh, kind of jumping in on this series through Malachi. Here's kind of a little brief Malachi primer, kind of where, where we find ourselves. So Malachi had lived a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from the Babylonian exile, and his message was to the people who were living in Jerusalem. And after the exile, there were high hopes that they could rebuild the temple, rebuild their lives, and that all the promises of the prophets would come true. The Messiah would come, he would unite Israel and bring justice and peace. But as we know, things went terribly wrong, and all of their hopes were lost. They had neglected the Lord. Uh, They were unfaithful to God, and as a result, there was a lot of corruption, poverty, and injustice. You know, things that we don't deal with today, but they dealt with back then, corruption, uh, poverty, and injustice. Uh, The book is structured as a series of six disputes between God and the Israelites, where God makes a claim or a statement about sort of the state of affairs— And then the Israelites will disagree and question God's statements. But our passage this morning is the the sixth and final discourse. But what's unique about this particular discourse is God's response to the Israelites. God does not make a claim or statement. Instead, he tells a story. He tells a story about this group, this faithful remnant of people who have remained faithful to God. And he calls for a book of remembrance. Uh, uh, of this group so that the telling of their faithfulness might go on to future generations. But there are three key elements that are packed together at the end of this passage that I want us to look at. So look at with me, uh, if you would, chapter 4 to the end of the book. There's sort of three things that happen in succession that I want us to see. Number one, the day is coming. uh, The day of the Lord, when the Lord will act. Number two, remembering the teaching of Moses, the Torah. This is what the Lord is saying. And number three, I am sending you a prophet. In many ways, this little section of text is saying, this is going to come, so you must remember, and I am sending you someone. Now the first and the third are connected to the second. Sandwiched in between the coming day and the sending prophet is what I think sets the table for those two things to happen. Remembering. Perhaps the Lord is trying to get the attention of his people by waving the flag of remembrance and saying, don't forget who I am. Don't forget the life that I want you to live. And don't forget what I have done for you. And as a result, who you are as my people. The the Lord is saying, you have forgotten these things and you must remember Now, when we began Malachi, Joel reminded us that the season of Advent is a season of waiting and preparing. Waiting expectantly. But what if waiting and remembering are two sides of the same coin? 
Could it be possible that we cannot faithfully watch and wait until we have first remembered? Just as the Lord invited his people to remember again, so that they might also have hope for the future, we too are invited to do the same. To be people who remember. Because if you're anything like me, and I know that I am, I am very forgetful. And I forget easily the things that have happened. So how might we be a people who could remember well so that we might faithfully watch and wait during the season of Advent? Well, I'd love for us to consider three elements that might reorient our remembering. Number one, the how of remembering, the what of remembering, and the who of remembering. So first, the how of remembering. How are we to remember? Well, the answer is very simple and very difficult, often and actively. The story of God, as we see in the scriptures, are packed full with this theme of remembering. The foundational Jewish prayer, the Shema, in the book of Deuteronomy, is essentially reminding the people of who God is. Later on in Deuteronomy, it says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Psalms are these beautiful pieces of poetry that are packed full of remembering. Psalm 77, 11, I will, call to the, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 143, 5, I remember the days of old. I think, I think about your deeds. I meditate on your works, on the works of your hands. Psalm 119, 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Jesus himself told his followers to remember. In John 14, 25, he says, I have said these things to you while I am with you. But, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you all that I have said. In just a few minutes, we'll be taking the Eucharist together. And it's because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This is a common theme in Scripture. But is it a common theme in your own life? Or here's a better question. Is it a common practice in your own life? When was the last time you took five minutes to remember? Or better yet, have you ever taken time to remember and then wrote down all that God had done and how God had moved to serve as a reminder to you? to give you hope for the future. This is not meant to be a a guilt trip, but rather an invitation to practice this discipline of remembering and to do it often and actively. The what of remembering. What we remember can depend on the context from which we remember. In a church or faith context, typically remembering has a good or positive tone to it. Like you can hear people say, you know, remember when we weren't sure about that one thing, but then the Lord revealed and made it clear the path we were to take. Or remember when we didn't know what was going on and then the Lord made it happen and God made a way, etc. Those are all good things to remember. 
where, where, where there was doubt, where there was, there was uncertainty, and God had made a way and made it clear. Those are good things to remember. Remembering in marriage is always re- really interesting uh, because typically it's very easy for you to remember the things that your spouse did not do or the things that, you, uh, how your, your spouse disappointed you. Those things come really easily to your mind, but the ways in which your spouse has helped you or, or did or was there for you are a little bit harder for you to remember. I'm just asking for a friend. I don't struggle with this, but I've heard that some marriages do. But there's another form of remembering that I think we must recognize in order to be a healthy and whole people who remember well. Remembering the things that didn't end with a good result or a positive twist or redeeming ending. Remembering the gaping wounds in our story that still bleed. I do think we need to be a people who remember But we also need to be a people who learn to remember the things that we would like to forget. As scary and as painful as it might be. The times where God did not move. Where prayers were not answered. Where God remained silent. Past wounds that have not healed. Brokenness that has not been restored. things that were done to us, or things that we have done to other people that continue to remain in the shadows of our story. We must do this not to bring pain, but to not give them any more power by being in the shadows. And this process of remembering the things that we would like to forget can bring trauma, pain, and anger from those memories, and they can be very powerful. But none of those things have the power to remove God's presence from you. Our past has undoubtedly shaped us. But in Christ, it does not define us. Someone say amen. Listen to this quote from Dr. Lewis Smedes. He says, Forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. Being a people of remembrance includes remembering both the peaks and the valleys of our own stories and remembering that God's presence has been with us during all of it. And lastly, the who of remembering. Now, when when we remember, the center of our stories tend to be us or other people in our story, right? You are the hero of your own story. If they made a movie about you and that character reflected back, it would be about you and your memories. But what if the who of your story is not you? What if it's the Lord? Can we be a people who center our remembering not on ourselves or the other people that make up our stories, but rather the one who has rescued our story? Here is what is true. Here is what is the reality of our story. The Lord shall not abandon his people. That as you reflect on your story and you remember 
the Lord is with you. Through the times when there didn't seem to be a, a way and he made a way, and also the times when he seemed to be silent, he never has abandoned you. He is with you. This season of Advent, we celebrate that God's witness to the world is his withness in Jesus. And that withness is at the center of our story. And, it's the, and should be the center of our remembrance. Remembering the one who will never leave us or forsake us. And not just remembering ourselves. Let, let us frame our remembering with Jesus at the center. Because if Jesus is indeed Lord, of our, uh, that, that means that he is Lord of our story, our past, and our remembering of that past. The, the how of remembering will determine how we wait. The what of our remembering will determine what we wait for. And the who of remembering will determine who we wait for. Friends, I submit to you that we cannot be a people who wait until we are people who remember. And I also got to be honest with you that with all that's going on in our church community right now, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, who cares about this stupid sermon? I know that we need to remember. And I know that we need to be a people who remember. But what I really want to say is, Lord, where are you? This is not okay with us. This is not right. Psalm 13 starts with, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long must I bear in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? And then it ends with, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. I don't know if I can get to the end of that psalm right now. I, 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 stay, I, I think I'm at the beginning right now. How, how long? And I don't have a positive twist to put on that or a little bow. And that's okay. And as we enter into this time of closing out Advent, I pray that we would be a people who remember well. So that we might faithfully watch and wait for Yahweh to come and rescue his people and restore all of creation. So in these final days of Advent, my hope for myself and for us as a church is that we would remember and celebrate the good news of Emmanuel. God, God coming to be with us and that we would experience his coming in new and fresh ways in, 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 in new areas of our lives so that we might experience deep in our bones 
that in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And the darkness is as light to you. So come, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would remind us of your presence in this season, that we would know that we are not an abandoned people, I pray, Lord, for healing, for restoration, for wholeness. And Lord, you say that faith is a gift, and I just pray that you would give us the gift of faith to believe in the things that are hard for us to believe. Lord, we want to be a people who remember the ways in which you have moved in our story and also the ways in which things weren't answered. The things that are hard to remember. You are with us in all of it. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and meet us in a, in a new and powerful and fresh way this season. that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are with us. We belong to you. And Lord, I pray that you would hold us tight in this season. So come, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. discussing for the last few weeks Advent is a time we practice waiting and um, for us unlike Israel what we are waiting for today this point in history is for the return of the king who will bring the kingdom in all its fullness the Lord Jesus came 2,000 years ago and with him because he's the king brought the kingdom but the fullness of it is yet to be uh, made manifest, made known, uh, realized on the earth. And we wait for him. And I, I uh, hardly need to uh, add anything to what Jordan said. I, I'm just going to repeat a few of the points that uh, that grabbed me as we come to the table this morning. Um our waiting, our looking forward, is based on our remembering who he is. Thank you, Emily. If there's anyone else who wants to hand out cups, that's great. Remembering who he is and what he's done. We remember that God is alive, that he has come in the flesh, that he died, that he rose again, and that he became a life-giving spirit. That's what Paul says about the Lord Jesus. Became a life-giving spirit. The one who we wait for is already with us. 
as as Jordan just said, his name's Emmanuel. God is with us. The Lord Jesus is with us. One of the things that Jordan talked about this morning that really grabbed me personally was that as we remember things in our own life, even um, we tend to want to remember the good things, but to have a sort of holistic perspective on our memory, we have to remember that things that didn't, uh, by all appearances, go so well. Each of us have those kinds of things in our life as a body. We're going through that right now with Ethan and Stacy and Jack and Ezra and Finn. It's it's um, these are things that that are painful, and each of us have those kinds of things. What what strikes me is that the cross. The cross on which Jesus Christ died is the epitome of things that by all appearances did not go the way it ought to go. Um, Andrew Peterson says that, that the baby in Mary's womb was the maker of the moon. This is a person who shows up. God shows up in flesh and ends up hanging on a tree. That did not go the way it was supposed to. But the shed blood of Jesus washed our sins away. It saved us from sin. And the resurrected Christ, as I said, became a life-giving spirit. He is life. We were dead. We're now alive because of the cross, which was a truly awful and ugly event that God planned for good. I'm going to read uh, uh, from this passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that we frequently go to that talks about the bread and the cup. It ends with this line that um, we often read but gets kind of lost at the end. I'm going to read it at the beginning. Um, Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because the Lord that we wait for is not dead. He is alive, and because of it, we are too. So if you have this cup, I I ask you to open it now. And if you're struggling, just slow down. That's what I have to do, because... Getting the little wafer thing out is um, never as easy as one would hope. Hear the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for the bread, for the cup, for the cross. We praise you 
for the life that is ours because you died. Amen.